Pro Bono Happy Hour. I'm Rena Gleaser. Welcome back. Have you heard? The Pro Bono Happy Hour is turning three years old. I know, it's hard to believe that our first episode dropped on October 1st, 2015. As we celebrate our podcast birthday, we're extremely grateful for your continued support. To show our appreciation, we're launching another podcast review contest. It's easy to enter. Go to iTunes, or what's now called Apple Podcasts, and subscribe, rate, and review the Pro Bono Happy Hour. We'd love to hear from you, and your honest feedback makes it easier for other listeners to find the program, expanding the conversation about pro bono and access to justice. Leave a review before Halloween. Send us an email to probono at probonoinst.org with your mailing address, and we'll send you a thank you prize. It's as easy as that. With the 2018 midterm elections fast approaching, today's guests are Nancy Anderson and Pooja Chaudhry from the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. We spoke with them about the National Nonpartisan Election Protection Coalition and how pro bono lawyers can advance and defend the right to vote. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Nancy, Pooja, welcome back, Nancy, and welcome, Pooja, to the Pro Bono Happy Hour. Thank you very much for having us. Thanks so much for joining us today. Let's jump right in. Could you tell us about the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law? Remind us about the organization, who you are, what issues you all work on, and how you advance your mission. Yeah, the Lawyers Committee uh, for Civil Rights Under Law was formed in 1963 by President Kennedy and his brother, the Attorney General, Robert Kennedy, uh, to get the private bar involved in the civil rights movement. may feel somewhat familiar to some of the issues we're going through right now, but Governor Wallace was standing on the steps of the University of Alabama and not following the rule of law of Brown v. Board of Education. And the president and the attorney general said, we need more lawyers involved. And so we were created to be involved in any number of civil rights issues and move the ball forward. So for the last 50 some years, we have been engaged in voting rights, fair housing, education, criminal justice, um, any other number of issues. And as a national civil rights legal organization, we are somewhat unique in that our mission is twofold, not only to improve civil rights and access to justice, but to do so by marshalling the resources of the private bar. So everything that we do, we do with volunteer lawyers. Anything to add? Uh, so we also have, a, a Nancy mentioned that we um, ha- tackle issues as they come up, and we have a project which re- recently started, the Stop Hate Project, That's right. um, to uh, sort of combat discrimination against you know, immigrant and minority groups, um, specifically uh, the Muslim American community, um, but also the African American community. Let's come back to that. We're going to focus on election protection today, but near the end, maybe we'll talk about some of your newer initiatives, including Stop the Hate, which I've been reading and learning a lot about. Um, Tell me a little bit about your roles and how you spend your time. Pooja, why don't we start with you? Sure. Um, So I am an associate counsel with the Voting Rights Project 
on a daily basis, I do both election protection work, which involves working with our pro bono partners and our volunteers um, in election protection, being on calls, on primary election calls, um, on planning calls related to the midterms. Um, so that's sort of the programmatic work I do. And then I'm also on staffed on several litigations that um, our team is, is bringing in different states. And so I do a mixture of work, uh, related to voter education, litigation, um, and uh, just protecting folks' right to vote. <laughs> what drove your passion towards elections and voting as something that you wanted to spend a big chunk of your career, professional life, daily work life on? Yeah, um, so that's a good question. And um, I would start from a bird's eye view. So I've always, always been... I went to law school to work in civil rights. Um, I graduated law school and I was at the Lawyers Committee doing education work. And through my work in education, where most of the work I did was related to special education, um, I ended up realizing that the right to vote is probably the umbrella right, right? So by, by being able to participate in our democracy and by being represented, um, people have a voice. And so um, through my initial work at the Lawyers Committee, I became interested in election law and then got an opportunity to, to join the team as a voting rights attorney. That's a great story. Nancy, what about you? Well, and, and to Pooch's point about uh, special education and the access to voting and whatnot, I think a lot of us in the world or in the country forget just how important those local elections are mm -hmm. and that if you don't if your voice isn't counted in that school board election, then your community won't be represented when there are budget decisions made, um, what classes are going to be had and whatnot. And the Lawyers Committee has actually focused a lot of time even on those very small elections because those are critical and then it just you know farms up. Um, but in terms of myself, I have been at the Lawyers Committee for a very long time, <laughs> almost 20 years, uh, and I am the director of pro bono. So. My job is to work with all the law firms and you know corporate counsel and to get them involved in our work. Um, and as a part of that, I've also become very involved in our impact projects, I'll call it, such as election protection, where infrastructure is so important for the work to be successful, not only in you know having everything up and running so voters can call our hotline, but also so that our volunteers have the resources and whatever else they need so that they can be successful in providing that pro bono assistance. So what do you think over the arc of almost 20 years, what do you think have been some of the biggest changes in pro bono that you've seen from sort of when you started off to where we are now? Well, certainly one of them was the rise of pro bono counsel at law firms. So when I first started, there were a smattering of those. And now, you know, most medium to larger firms have those. So that's probably one of the biggest things. So that helped uh, drive increased pro bono hours um, and even the expansion of the type of, I think, pro bono work. Um, uh, and, and tied to that is, interestingly enough, when election protection started in 2004, there weren't a lot of sort of I'll call them one-off, you know, pro bono opportunities where you do a two-hour training, go in for four hours, one and done, out. But now that those type of opportunities, there's, there's a lot of them and across a variety of issues, which I think is, is positive. Um, 
so those are two of the big changes, but I feel like we're in the middle of another change and I'm not quite sure I have my hands completely wrapped around it. Um, but the consolidation of firms, too much communication via email, it's hard to kind of land those pro bono opportunities. So I, I don't know. I kind of feel like we're in the middle of something, but that's where Pro Bono Institute's an expert. Yeah, and that's where you can come back in a year or two. We'll figure out. <laughs> Things figure are shaken down, What's right? Either in the legal economy or the world, and how does that intersect, and, and what does that mean we're doing either differently or better or not better, just differently to, to adapt and continue to speak both to legal needs, pressing and emerging legal needs, and then the landscape that makes the volunteering possible because there's different demands on people's times as nancy talked about sort of smaller bite-sized scheduled projects that's become important just as how does this as an opportunity fit into people's lives and how do you make sure those are meaningful right and not just kind of superficial show opportunities because you want to make sure this isn't just um uh, for show, but that we are providing genuine and real legal services and advancing the ball, not just optically yeah, doing yeah. something cute, but actually making a difference. So um, great points. So let's dig into election protection. What is election protection? Um, when and why was the effort started and how has it evolved since, I think you said 2004? Yep. So election protection is the country's largest uh, nonpartisan voter protection coalition. Um, And Pooja will let us know more about it. But the two key parts are, well, two of the key parts, because there are more than two, of course, (laughs) is that on Election Day and uh, throughout the year, we in fact have uh, a hotline available for voters to call and ask questions or report problems. Um, And then we also have a field program. Uh, on election day where folks can uh, volunteer and be in different locations to either respond to problems or identify problems. But that's sort of like what we're known for within the firm context. Um, And Pooja has been doing additional work on the sort of day-to-day of of what it looks like. Yeah, and I mean, again, to, you know, echo what Nancy said, we're sort of the liaison between the community and the private bar. And so... We have um, a coalition of more than 100 partners. Some of those involve um, the Brennan Center for Justice, Common Cause, Democracy Initiative, League of Women Voters, the National Bar Association, NAACP, and could go on and on and on. And we have a resource website page on our website. Um, But on a daily basis, we, in the last, you know, few months, we've been involved in a lot of the primaries. In fact, we've been involved in Um, 45 states Um, and we've had full call centers in some states and what that means is that we um, have attorneys at call centers in the state taking calls from voters who a lot of them have very basic questions like where's my polling place or am I registered to vote and so we give them information on those particular questions but then we also get calls related to more systemic issues for example oh there were 10 voters who tried to go and vote in Maricopa County Arizona um, on the Arizona you know primary election day and the polls were closed and the machines were malfunctioning and so 
you know, that impacted a large group of voters. And when you have certain issues that are taking place in areas um, where you have, you know, large groups of minorities, for example, like an all black county, and you have like polling sites being closed, that was what happened in, it was going to happen in Randolph County, Georgia. We get involved in those situations and using advocacy as well as litigation to protect people's right to vote. Yeah, and a bird's eye view going back to that language from earlier, which I very much like, is election protection, its primary role is to make sure that voters who are eligible to vote are able to vote and have their vote counted. It's just sort of basic, basic stuff. Yeah, that's a good mantra. I mean, that's a good tagline, right? So I think that encapsulates the the goal and the initiative and everything else kind of spirals from that to try and stick to the mission and advance the ball. Before we leave the coalition partners, and I'm sure it would make for riveting listening if we, with enthusiasm, read through each of the 100 (laughs) uh, partners. But as Pooja mentioned, you can look that up online and, and we'll give you some links. But what what makes for a coalition partner? Are there certain either aspects of an organization by their nature, by their location? If you were to describe, you know, either commonalities or specifics, what types of groups are your coalition partners? And then how do you all work together? How, how do the members, the partners, and you, what are the different roles and functions, just as examples? I would say that, you know, it really varies. There's no, like, strict guidelines of, like, this is what you have to do or provide in order to be a coalition uh, member. Um, it is the, the underlying theme is that they're committed to voting rights. Not necessarily that that's their primary issue, but that is part of, of what they're concerned about. So it's national, state, local groups, legal groups, non-legal groups, uh, some, you know, religious groups. Um, some organizations play a role more of helping us get the hotline numbers out because if the number's not out, voters don't know to call it if they have questions or problems. Um, it could be in some states and locations, they're running the show. In, in Colorado, it's our local affiliate and um, a, a non-legal group that is running the hotline and creating the field program. So it, it really varies. Um, And we have a strong team of organizers who have state assignments and who work with the different coalition members in each of their different locations. And even within a state, it can vary tremendously from one location to another of who the players are. So that's not doesn't really answer your question. Oh, it does. And I think it makes sense that there would be a range, right, from subject matter experts who are in there doing the work and really helping to community activists who maybe elections and voting isn't what they do, but they can get the word out, right, and inform people on the ground, citizens, that these resources are available. So I think it really is a range to make it work, and this is the bringing it together. And to be incredibly clear that these organizations are critical to the success of election yes. protection. It's not only the Lawyers Committee, but, but those groups as well. And of course, the volunteers, which we'll get to. But this mm-hmm. is a team effort all around. Yeah. And, and again, you know, to piggyback on a lot of the points that Nancy made, um, a lot of states have very robust organizations and folks who are on the ground who 
are really engaged in the issues are going to the state board commission, the state commission meetings, the state board meetings, local election meetings. And so they have a very good understanding and idea of what they want election protection to look in their state. And so in a state like that, we sort of take a supporting role. And we're like, okay, we have all these materials and all of this expertise. How can we help you? Um, in a lot of other states, we take a more active role in helping build election protection. So we'll get together four or five organizations. We'll try to get them on a call together, all of them, and discuss, you know, this is where we can host a call center. Maybe there's a law firm in that particular city that, that can host a, a call center. Maybe we can mobilize field workers who can go to the polls on election day, on primary day, on general election day, and um, monitor the polls and help people, you know, who are trying to get access to the polls on that particular day. So it has a lot of different facets and it varies obviously from state to state um, and depending on the, the connections that the local community has in that particular state. Yeah, as elections do in this country, since right. they are exactly. sort of state, voting and is local, local voting right? Is local. Um, and I think it's a good example that one size doesn't fit all. So you are responding to the needs of a community of a state, both yeah. their resources and their obstacles and the opportunities. So I think that is probably part of the secret of the success of the project, right? That it isn't yeah. a rigid. Oh, yeah. Blueprint that you right. just have to replicate, but you tailor and adapt and tweak based on a yep. whole range of factors right. that you talked about. So that makes sense. So you mentioned that you were in something like 45 states mm -hmm. for primaries and the, the run up to the midterms. How do you decide? How do you decide um, where you're going to be, where you're going to play? Um, where you're more active, what does sort of that algorithm look like? Whether And I'm sure it's a function of need, resources, again, what's already available, where you would be duplicating effort, where you would be the sort of singular effort because there's a void. What what sort of goes into those decisions? Yeah, so the, the 186R vote uh, hotline, as well as the um, we have a Spanish uh, hotline that's run by Naleo and Asian languages that's run by API Vote, and then we have um, uh, Arabic hotline that's run by the Arab American Institute. That hotline is available to all 50 states, so you know anyone from Alaska to Oklahoma to Virginia can call it. Um, and so for the primaries, we had the call center live for the primaries in 45 different states. Um, on election day, we will have field programs in 32 states. Um, and how we identify those are, you know, local partners who come to us who want to be involved. They want to have a program. So what resources are on the ground? What's the need? Um, while the election protection is open to all voters, being a civil rights organization, we also tend to focus where there are larger minority populations or folks who have a tradition of being disenfranchised. So we may look at a state of, oh, you know, they've had problems here. We need to go ahead and go back. Um, in the past, we focused um, more so on where we had lots of legal volunteers, mm -hmm. but because this now is a 14-year-old program with its own life of its own, there's there's less a need to rely so heavily on those cities because word's gotten out and folks volunteer with us. Um, so it, it, it really 
depends. And I know our staff would love to be in all 50 states plus D.C., but there is a limit as to how much yeah. capacity they have. Sure. Does anyone do it well? Are there any, you know, if we were giving grades to the various states, huh. is there anyone who's sort of above average, even even if they don't get an A? <laughs> is there any high-functioning uh, elections I, being operated in this yeah, country? Yeah, um. <laughs> No, I mean, the answer I can be we, no. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not sure, because that's a good question, right? Because in yeah. states maybe where things are going well, we're not focusing so much of our efforts, mm-hmm. but even in states with money who you who are committed to voting rights even they have problems yeah. and yeah. we've gotten some unexpected high call volume in primaries uh, from voters in certain states that we just, I wouldn't have expected yeah, so it may be hard to predict which is an interesting right. sort of factor in running a project like this right you think that oh, these are the places where perennially we have issues and then all of a sudden boom you know like there was a lot of chatter and I'm sure you had a lot of work out of uh, New York mm-hmm. last week yes, that right was, that was and you had, that I was just thinking you had of. so many people who showed up who were longtime voters yep. and go to their precinct and they're not on the roll anymore they didn't move like nothing changed and these weren't necessarily although I'm curious you know what your takes is they weren't necessarily from underrepresented communities right. or, I mean, we would think in many respects these are more sort of privileged voters who hadn't right. encountered issues before. Right. So if the sort of low-hanging fruit voter is having a problem, we can only imagine what people who generally face challenges, the types yep. of challenges they were facing. Did you, did you hear chat? I mean, it's recent. That that primary is fresh oh, off no. the news. We did so. get a lot of unexpect, yeah. unexpected phone calls. Yeah, um, we... Again, we got phone calls from multiple voters who um, called 866-OUR-VOTE and were basically like, oh, we're not on the rolls. What do we do? And so um, in response, we ended up suing the New York Board of Elections. Um, Well, we sued them in 2016 for an improper um, voter purge. But in this particular election, we... um, petitioned the judge to in 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 Brooklyn to, to extend voting hours um, because a lot of the issues that were were going on were a voters were not on rolls b polling sites were just like falling apart and you know were not functioning so not not only were we providing information to voters on our hotline we also engaged in both advocacy and litigation in that in that, in that instance. Great. We'll, we'll break that down in a little bit, the various yeah. activities and actions that you take. But I'm curious, before we leave sort of the big picture and compare and contrast, do you see differences in either interest, engagement, scope of the election protection effort, what you're doing um, in midterms and off, off quote-unquote, off years and presidential years. I was thinking the last time Nancy was here and we talked about election protection was two years ago in the run-up to 2016, and I think sometimes, perhaps this year accepted, um, the midterms go under the radar, right? People are super focused in presidential years and then off-cycle, the interest is different or in certain locations, it's it's different. This feels different, but what's your experience sort of midterm versus presidential Normally year? the midterms are smaller programs um, in terms of interest from volunteers, in terms of funding, right? Because it takes money to, to pay the organizations that are doing this. And if there's no money or less money, we can't have as big a, a, an effort. Um, 
and call volume is down for sure. But I mean, this year it's, it's completely different. Mm -hmm. More interest, getting phone calls, you know, off, you know, my phone's ringing off the wall from firms and folks who want to volunteer, funders are stepping up. Um, you know, I think there's just also more concern, you know, recently with what ICE requesting the voter registration right. polls in North Carolina, you know, for those of us who are on the progressive side, these things don't, they, they point to potential even more problems. So um, normally midterms are smaller this year. Not so much. Not Different. so much. Like everything else. And I feel like, yeah. and maybe this is a recency bias, but I feel feel like there's also been heightened awareness of either purges or disenfranchising. I mean, I think in the run-up before, there was a lot of attention on voter ID laws and other right. systematic efforts, right. but I feel like mm, it's back, and it is on people's consciousness, lawyers, citizens, and I think it's all of it sort of with more engagement and, yeah. and heightened interest. Well, and yeah. you have the whole election security issues right. and the hacking. And so a lot of the a lot of these issues, for example, New York voters being off the rolls, California about 118,000 voters were off the rolls in LA County um, back in two months ago during the California primary. All of, I can't speak to New York, but related to California, that issue came up because this, the state system was not compatible with the county system. And so when the state system was trying to populate the information into the county system, it deleted all the voters' birth dates. And so their age, um, for example, w showed up as zero. And so their names weren't printed on the rolls. So you can't and vote if you're zero. <laughs> you're like unborn. Right, right. right. And so the, the, that's, not a, that's not a malicious you know, systemic voter suppression issue. That's a, that's an issue with technology. And those are coming up more and more and more. Yeah, that's a good point. I think such a range of things can yeah, happen. exactly. And some of it is just glitches, right? And, and it, it, it was not a, a, a malicious intent. Right. Or there was no, like, bad actor. It's right. sort of like bleep happens. But the stakes are high. And if we are going to protect people's rights, we have to be there to clean up whether it's just... Uh, all controlled delete accident, like a power surge <laughs> exactly. something, yep. right. or, you know, the volunteers were stuck in traffic, and so this particular site opened an hour late. That's a challenge when people have to leave. You know, how are they going to get yeah. to vote? And so yeah. it could be just a variety of things. I think we're a little bit predisposed now to think everything is kind of has a bad... Right. <laughs> no, no, right. that's it's very right. valuable. But, but some shenanigans aren't shenanigans. It's right, just... and, and, we, and we respond to all of it, yeah. right? So yeah. we, we, have, we write letters, and we wrote letters in the California situation. We have our main attorney who's working in New York and who's, you know, that's his state, is now working closely with our partners in New York to see what can be done, um, how we can follow up what how to modernize the system because the new york issue was also didn't seem like it was a a massive voter disenfranchisement you know intentional like yeah yeah but, but it's a good point because once you get enough calls yeah. or you get enough information you realize wow this is systemic this it's isn't just issue. this isn't just five or ten people right. who had this little glitch and they got it fixed right. it's 
a bigger issue and now we're on notice yeah. of it and need to figure out a way to, to clean it up and, and that and it. that is one of the things that election protection does is that it has this you know online database where we can realize there's trends it's not just the one call here or one call there um, and that can you know you can miss that connection um, if we didn't have the system that allows us to track it live and and recognize oh wait a minute we've gotten a whole bunch of calls on these issues this one issue what's going on yeah, I think that's an important point to think about how the effort gets maximized, right? That you, you field calls, you answer questions, you deal in the moment, but because you're able to gather sort of data and analyze it, yeah. you're able to do more with it. It's sort of like you're able to see the, the forest and the trees, right? Like the, the, the trees. Good and way of describing yeah, it. Bump it up to see yes. the forest too. Yeah, so that you're yes. not. Because I think sometimes these projects are so in the weeds, like you're so wanting to help that individual calling or having a problem right. or you know, no, you were supposed to go here, or no, this is the documentation you need to bring, or blah, 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 that then you don't kind of see the aggregate. And so it's an important piece that you're able to wed it together and, and do both for the impact. So I think we've danced around things like hotlines and helplines and field programs and impact litigation. So let's break that down and talk about the pro bono opportunities involved in the various buckets of your work. Right. Well, I'd say the largest uh, pro bono opportunities for um, lawyers and just to uh, preempt a question that you might ask it, uh, we have lawyers, uh, law students, uh, legal assistants, and paralegals. So essentially, if you have legal training, we'd love to have you uh, volunteer. And so the largest number of opportunities are to actually volunteer for the hotline on election day and the day before. And those are in various locations across the country. And starting in, in our office in the next two weeks yeah. between now and election day, or then on election day, um, and then the other is to actually volunteer in the field on election day, which can include uh, a number of different, it can look a number of different ways. So one is that you can be teamed with another volunteer and you are going in between assigned polling places. And we call that a mobile legal volunteer. So you're either checking in, seeing if there are problems or if a problem has come into the call center, you go out. Um, in some locations, it's a dispatch model where you just kind of hang out in the command center and as problems are identified, out you go. Um, and a third is that sometimes we have folks stationed at like a, a election administration office just to be able to go in and, and try to get the local you know, official to respond to a problem. Sometimes it's easier in person than getting them on the phone. Sure. It sounds like it's in a way, like if you think about a first responder model, that's how they're deployed, right? Sometimes you're at the big venue and sometimes you yep. wait for the call to come in and then whoosh. And so it, it seems very similar that it's yeah, kind of good. highest and best use depending on the logistics and the scope and yep. what, what makes sense. So the, those are the, the primary pro bono opportunities. Um, we have had volunteers in the past and to some extent already this year help update our state voting rights materials. Um, some lawyers um, serve on our election protection legal committees in different locations, which you know work with local election officials, help plan the field programs. Um, some law firms host call centers, so in those instances, they have non-legal staff who help 
run those. I mean, the tech people, my Lord, if we didn't have those, we wouldn't, we <laughs> yes. wouldn't have election protection yeah, yeah, yeah. and the support staff who make sure that all the I's are dotted and T's um, yeah. are crossed. Logistics run smoothly. So I think the bottom line is if this is something that's of interest to you, there probably is an opportunity. If you're affiliated yeah. with a yep. law firm, an in-house legal department, there's going to be a way for you to plug in and get involved. Now, what if there certainly is, and there certainly are, people like Pooja and bar members who have sort of election practices. Like they are experts and this is what they do, right? But that is not a large <laughs> segment no. of the bar. Yeah. So most people are coming at this saying, I, I don't know anything about election law. I don't know anything about voting requirements. I just kind of show up and vote. I think it's important. But what can I do to help people? I don't know anything about this. So what's the training like? What's the support like? What's the mentoring like? If I'm at a call uh, a hotline and I'm sitting in the office in the bullpen with a lot of people yeah. answering phones. It's it's a lot like when you would see telephones on TV, right? What An it open looks cube like. with dingling. Yeah. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to answer exactly the next one. And they say, hi, it's Rena. How can I help you? And someone's got a problem, right? They, they're not on the rolls or their voting place is closed or I have no idea. I mean, how am I supposed to answer them? What, what sort of training will I have gotten or resources or... Um, support so that I am an effective <laughs> pro bono yeah. advocate. So any volunteer that volunteers for a field program or a hotline has to do a mandatory hour and a half training. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's also for the state questions, right? Because you're you'll depending upon what call center you're at, you may be getting phone calls from two states, one state, or if you're in our office for the next six week, all fifty states in DC. Um, we have the state frequently asked questions. So like 80 to 90% of the questions from voters can be answered from this short document. Um, we also have a toolbox so that everyone sitting at a uh, computer uh, in a call center has everything they need right there, right? They can click on a li- link to look up the voter registration for whatever calls they're receiving from. Um, and in the capt- in the, the call centers as well in the field, we have what we call captains. So you're taking a call from a voter and you're like, oh my gosh, there's a police car outside a polling place. I don't know how to answer this. You know, you raise your hand, the captain comes over and can help you either answer that call or take it over. So we have substantive experts on site or available um, via phone to help answer those questions and support you along the way. So you're, n- you're never alone. You're always supported by folks who um, are you know, experts in election law. They're, they're around. And people have amazing experiences, and they come back sort of every election cycle. So I think that it should be reassuring. <laughs> it's yeah. not that you are left to your own devices and yeah. you figure all this right. out. It's a very meticulously prepared and easy-to-use set of resources and toolkits so that you can efficiently help people. And then, as Pooja said, there's human wisdom and knowledge <laughs> there to ask questions or to bump things up the food chain because you are yeah. wanting to help and make this work well to serve the the people in the field so yeah yeah and to a large extent it's a social yeah and collaborative too. right collaborative. you're all asking did this come up oh yeah. i just had this question exactly we yeah. have we have food for the volunteers <laughs> yeah food yeah not yeah. always not yeah. always don't go promising <laughs> right. that but sometimes yeah. we have food <laughs> but, um, but um 
you know, and the, the technology has also evolved, right? So there's that support as well for the volunteers. Even the, the online Our Vote Live database has evolved and improved so that it's easier for volunteers to use. The training has evolved over time to respond to suggested changes from folks like, oh, I wish you had this. Um, and again, when we've been doing this for 14 years, um, with you know very high standards of law firms from many people that we all know in the pro bono firm world I'm very much impressed with the program that we run and I'm very proud of what we have accomplished over time and we help like hundreds of people we help so many people with the most basic questions but again thousands yeah thousands of people yeah we help a lot of people yeah, and you couldn't do that if it wasn't efficient. You know, right, if you were exactly. there being like, please hold while I spend an hour researching your question. Nope. The, right. the whole thing isn't going to work. Let's talk a little bit about impact litigation and bigger projects. Either things that come up during election day, right, and people have to run to court and get a restraining order or go get the court and judge to say, yes, the polls cannot close on time. You know, people in line need to be given more time. Or, yes, you're having right. a rainstorm. It's not fair. You know, you've got to be able to... Um, to vote and things that happen because you're working on these issues, you know, all day, every day, not just in an election year, longer term, big projects that, that, that you've been involved in. And we don't have to go through the whole laundry list, but just some examples of, of maybe where um, pro bono firms or pro bono attorneys have helped work on some bigger picture impact matters and either day of kind of you are going to court yeah. and doing something that has an impact or um, a serious intense I don't want to scare people away but they are kind of multi-month multi-year even with trials with uh, big litigating efforts to sort of turn things around and protect yeah it. and Pooja probably uh, can speak more about the various litigations that we're currently involved in because she's even working on some of them but I would just like to emphasize that Every impact litigation we do, we do with a volunteer law firm. Mm -hmm. We co-counsel with law firms. So what we are able to accomplish, we wouldn't, it wouldn't be nearly what it is if we weren't able to leverage our expertise with the law firms who bring their you know, trial experience, their impact litigation, and their bodies, right? Um, so that's a key facet for our success. Yeah. I was talking to a colleague and he said that the bread and butter of a voting rights attorney is a section two gerrymandering case. <laughs> and so who knows what that's going to look like in the future, um, given the you know change in the makeup of the judiciary. But a lot of the, our big ticket cases tend to be section two racial gerrymandering, partisan gerrymandering cases. Um, we have also litigated voter roll purges. so. Recently, there was a Supreme Court case, um, Husted versus the Randolph Institute in Ohio, um, and that in that particular case, it was basically, you know, sanctioning Ohio's current voter purge law. And so, um, we are we 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 do that kind of litigation as well. We bring cases under the National Voter Registration Act, um, specifically Section five and seven, usually we bring section, uh, cases under section seven because public agencies impact 
minorities and, and, and our goal is to you know work towards the betterment and the progress of the, the minority community essentially she's she's talking about like the motor voter law you know yeah. Where, yeah. where people are you know register you are you are right. given the opportunity to register to vote at right. either the DMV or Absolutely. public um, agencies and we've had lots and lots of those cases so it's all about access to voter registration yep. Yep, and then, and then you know felony rights restoration. We were involved in sort of pretrial work, um, and so that's sort of a gamut of, of the cases that we, we bring. It's all over the place. Yeah, and I think it what we were talking about earlier for people who are looking for high profile and impact pro bono opportunities. If you just think about what's been in the news lately, right, whether it's gerrymandering, districting, you know, and drawing districts, it's in the news all over in many Closing states. Closing polling places. Closing polling places. Predominantly right? minority communities. White neighborhoods, yeah. access issues, right. role purges, um, um, disenfranchisement and right. what happens with sort of um, ex-offenders and yep. getting their sort of rights back and big issues in Florida and other places where their sort of initiatives a and lots coming down with the census right yeah that's all right, right. Also. so it's really of the moment and I think even if voting and elections weren't the top of your um, maybe passion project list, if you think about it, it probably is just in a different shade, just a different side of the coin. Um, so I tried to make a case, and we made the case with your tagline, but is there anything you want to add in terms of pitching, voting, and election-related pro bono opportunities? You know, there's a crowded marketplace of opportunities. There are a lot of clients and issues and populations that volunteers can work to help. And they're all good. We're not sort of hierarching or choosing or right, ranking. Right. But if you've got people who are listening and thinking, that sounds good, should I get involved and work on this issue versus that issue, what's the case? You know, what are some of the reasons why this work is enticing and appealing, meaningful and impactful? Right. Well, it's certainly meaningful and impactful um, in terms of uh, if you could think of, like, I may help multiple voters who are registered to vote, cast their ballot, and make sure it's counted, that's pretty darn impressive, right? That is that is that is big. Um, but uh, in addition to that, it just goes back to some of the things we've talked about. You know, there's great support. There's training. It's short. You know, you can come in and come out. Um, it's a known program. And I think, you know, the Lawyers Committee over time has really built a strong reputation yeah. based on this work that actually has also helped us and um, gone over into other project areas like Clemency Project where we were not experts on that sub subject matter, but we are experts on infrastructure and organization so that a volunteer can have mm -hmm. faith that when they step into something that they may feel uncomfortable with, we're going to be there for them and they can make a difference. Yeah, and I mean voting is the chance to have your voice heard and the chance to be represented in the democracy and shape the democracy right and so it, it on a meta level <laughs> it's 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 super important and a lot of voices for example in the redistricting cases a lot of, a lot of voices are forgotten and our goal is to empower those people to be able to a participate in their electoral form of government and b um really have their vote counted and understand what it means to redistrict because a lot of this a lot of the work that we do 
sounds high level, but on a local level, it's it it has an impact, and and it's you know either empowering or or lifting up the voices of of of, of folks all over. Um, and so I think it's very very important. So this isn't meant to be confrontational, and. I would say it's devil's advocate, but it's not even really devil's advocate. I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of a listener who may be thinking, hmm, Nancy, Pooja, isn't this work partisan? So how do you guard against that reality or perception, especially in this hyper-polarized environment? Well, for one thing, we've had 14 years to practice being nonpartisan, <laughs> right? And that is... We, we can't be partisan. And so our staff, our coalition partners, um, we all know that. And um, if you just look at where our programs are, I mean, we, we've had strong programs in Texas for years, which was a, you know, a red state for years. And it's about supporting voters there. We've had, you know, a program in Maryland for years, which you could say is a blue state. You know, they're going to elect somebody blue no matter what, which is not necessarily true, as we know. But um it, it's just, it's nonpartisan, and the, the partisan programs, they're out there, and I get they have a job to do, but their focus is on people of certain, who are going to vote for certain candidates right, voting. Right. That's not what we're going to do. We're for supporting and making sure yeah. that all folks who are eligible to vote get to vote. Um, yeah. That includes regardless of who you vote for. Yeah, and it, we're, we're not trying to support any particular candidate, as Nancy said, and a testament to that is that anybody who calls the election protection hotline, anybody, we help them. You know, I've gotten calls from people subscribing to many different political views and who have not been shy to share their political <laughs> views with me. Yeah. Yeah. And I say, and usually my response is, um, I'm sorry, sir, but I'm here to help you find your polling location, right? I'm here to help you find out whether you are registered to vote because it is important that you vote. And so all our volunteers are trained to um, respond to every call in a nonpartisan manner because ultimately the goal of election protection and the goal of the Voting Rights Project and the team is to allow people who want to vote to vote and help them vote. That's probably a really good indicator, right? If you are calling or talking to someone about getting help you're having a problem and their first question is who do you want to vote for <laughs> that's probably a good indicator that this is not a nonpartisan effort right because right. the help you get and the shenanigans that you know sort of flow from there is outcome dependent and this is um right about right. letting you have your right. voice whatever it is right. you want that absolutely voice to be. Exactly. yeah and yeah. Law firms give pro bono credit for working for election protection. They don't always do that <laughs> if you're volunteering for a party. Yeah. So that's one thing yeah. to think about, listeners, yeah. as you're uh, trying yeah. to decide yeah. who you may want to volunteer for. That's a good point. Could you share, I think for some people this is a little abstract, so could you share um, a meaningful um, story or anecdote um, that relates to 
someone that you've helped or a, a case that you've worked on. So either a, a caller and their story and what you've done or a different type of matter. So people have sort of a narrative or an example of the, the end user, right? The client and, and then the ultimate resolution or a way you've been able to help people. Either that you've worked on or that you've heard through the lore, you know, the right. reports. The, yeah. The, yeah. I mean, we, we have a lot of those, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I was involved in a, um, in a case in Baltimore County, so I'm making it close to home. Yeah, <laughs> Maryland, okay. Maryland, yeah. and uh, the issue that came up there was that um, a pol- one polling location that served Baltimore County, which is a majority black county, um, wasn't open for several hours in the morning, and so again, we have a pattern of bringing these kinds of cases. We um, filed a preliminary injunction, and so so I'll preface it by saying that we had several callers on the hotline who um, were frantically calling us and telling us that, oh, I can't vote, I'm in, uh, and then I have to go to work, I don't know when I can be back, you know, I have to pick up my kid from school, and so um, we ended up partnering with Hogan Lovells and filing a preliminary injunction, a, a complaint asking the circuit court in Baltimore to extend polling hours and the court extended polling hours and so it sounds like a very small victory but it was a victory and we sent a public records request uh, to to find out how many people voted after the polls closed so they close at eight but they extended the hours for an ex for an extra hour and we found out that four to five more people's voices, votes, were counted. They came and voted in that one hour. And so that matters, and that is, um, you know, a very tangible victory for us. Yeah, that's a great success story. Nancy, do you have any you want to share? One that just always comes back to mind in which uh, I referenced somewhat earlier, I I don't know if it was in, I can't remember, They they all run together when you've been working on them for so long, but I think it was in 2016, and it was, a polling place in an African-American community and there was a police officer stationed outside a polling place and folks were calling because they were freaked out they felt intimidated people were turning around and leaving um, and we were able to call one of the the local command center who called one of the mobile legal volunteers who went to the polling place and had just a one-on-one casual conversation with the officer who didn't appreciate what his presence was doing at that polling place. That was not his intention. And so the police officer is like, oh my gosh, I will leave. And so the sense of relief from voters at that polling place in particular um, changed and made folks a lot more comfortable. And so, you know, that just is something that it wasn't confrontational. Again, it was not another one of these, oh, I'm trying to stop people from voting. Um, but how a call center, a hotline, and someone on the ground made a big difference in people feeling more comfortable walking up and, um, you know, voting. Yeah, and I think it's it's such a great example on so many levels. It's also a great example to someone who says, I want to help, but I don't really want to go to court. You know, I know I'm not a litigator, and that's not what I want to do. Well, okay, you're talking to someone. <laughs> you could do that, you know. And so there are a lot of different skills that lead yes. to success. And this was a value add in a way that didn't have to be confrontational or antagonistic. It's eye-opening, right? It was sensitizing. That's, that's yeah. in a way what that was. So I know we're really sort of 
bunker down into the election. It's sort of full bore on um, getting things up and running and servicing people in need and as calls come in and getting the food and getting the catering and getting the logistics. But could you share something else that you're excited about, whether it's voting or elections related or a different initiative or a relatively new initiative or something else that you're working on, even if you're not working on it for the next few weeks, but will be down the road or something that your colleague, you know, uh, three offices away is doing. Um, just something in addition that you're excited about that the Lawyers Committee is doing. Um, well, I'll just briefly mention too, and then Pooja, if you want to talk about the Stop Hate work, but um, one of the things that the Lawyers Committee has gotten involved in recent months is supporting other organizations that are representing detained parents in the immigration as battle as well as other folks who have been detained and who need um, help. This is where our pro bono network um, and our infrastructure and um, coordination expertise has come in. So that's personally been really um, satisfying for me because that's where my expertise is, is to be able to bring those resources to these other fabulous groups doing the work. Um, we also have really expanded our criminal justice work. Mm -hmm. So it, this is a, so many of these topics are depressing once you start diving into them, but you know, bail, the treatment of bail, debtors prisons, there are folks who are arrested and kept in jail because they haven't paid their parking fees. Um, and it's extremely uh, depressing, but it's awesome. We're getting law firms out there and we're filing lawsuits. So those are sort of two new areas for the Lawyers Committee, which is which is great. That's exciting. Yeah, and we have another project, the Stop Hate Project, that um, I don't work on, but uh, a lot of my colleagues work on it. And one of the you know main features of the project is they also have a hotline and so they take calls related to hate crimes and um, you know crimes you know motivated by hate and bias and so that they have been helping a lot of folks on, yeah. on, on, on that and end. doing a lot of education and work with local organizations on the ground and police officers right. We've had uh, volunteers at the various protesters you know being observers mm -hmm. so you know, lots of uh, strong work in that area to try to prevent and respond to state uh, hate crimes and hate incidents, so. And strengthening communities. I mean, that's a real underlying theme. So that's all exciting. We're gonna put that on our to-do list to learn more about <laughs> all the, the other the awesome work. things that you're doing. Yeah, so let's wrap down with a few concrete takeaways, sort of final things that you think listeners should know about election protection, your work, what's going on, voting rights, anything you think, bottom line, people should know. Uh, well, they should volunteer and they can go to 866ourvote.org or the Lawyers Committee website, mm -hmm. but the election protection website again is 866ourvote.org. Click on the volunteer button, which our awesome volunteer management system is powered by and supported by We The Action. Uh, so I want to definitely give a huge plug to them for their great support. You can also go to their website and volunteer through us and for other um, opportunities. Um, so volunteer, mm -hmm. uh, register to vote and vote yourself. Um, it's important work. Lots of opportunities. Yeah, uh, promote our hotline. Oh, yeah. You know, if it's 866-R-Vote. So promote that hotline. Tell your contacts and your your community you know if they have issues if they have questions to call that particular hotline 
Great. Well, thank you, Nancy and Pooja. Thank you so much thank for joining you. us. Thank you. This was great. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. And as always, I learned so much. And I think our listeners will be inspired to get involved. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to our discussion with Nancy and Pooja. And many thanks to both of them for their time and for sharing their expertise with us. To learn more about election protection, visit the coalition's dedicated website, 866ourvote.org. That's 866-O-U-R-V-O-T-E.org. Or call the election protection hotline, 866-OUR-VOTE. That's 866-687-8683. New and archived episodes of the podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts and YouTube. We'd be very grateful if you could subscribe, rate, and review the Pro Bono Happy Hour on Apple Podcasts. It's quick and easy to do. Leave a review by October 31st and we'll send you some swag. In addition to the prizes, your honest feedback would make it easier for other listeners to find the program, expanding the conversation about pro bono and access to justice. What could be better than that? We'd love to hear from you directly. Send your comments, feedback, and suggestions to probono at probonoinst.org. Be warned, we might just read them on the air or use them in our next mailbag episode. To learn more about the Pro Bono Institute and our resources, visit our website at probonoinst.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Pro Bono Happy Hour.